Is China gearing up for war? While tensions between the mainland and democratic Taiwan have been brewing for decades, Beijing is ramping up its war footing. From increases in defense spending to China's military upping its combat readiness to defense mobilization offices opening across the country. Taiwan, meanwhile, is on alert for a sudden attack by China. Communist China sees Taiwan as part of its own territory, despite having never ruled the island. And Beijing hasn't ruled out using force to achieve its goals. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. China seems to be taking war preparations more seriously than ever, and Taiwan is staying on high alert. Beijing released its national budget over the weekend. It highlights China's plan to boost defense spending by 7.2 percent this year, a faster pace than the country's GDP target. China's Premier Li Keqiang also called on the country's army to further boost combat preparedness. China's neighbors, along with the U.S., are watching closely, especially as tensions have spiked in recent years over Taiwan. Taiwan warned on Monday that the island must stay on alert this year. That's for a sudden entry by the Chinese military into areas close to its territory. The island's leadership repeated that aggressive action there would have consequences. Here's what Taiwanese Defense Minister Chiu Kuo-chen had to say when answering questions in parliament. Entering the 24 nautical mile zone or approaching the 12 nautical mile zone, some move like that. Then there would be a fight. Yes, that's right. China claims self-governed Taiwan as its own and has not renounced the use of force to bring the island under Chinese control if needed. The Chinese communist regime has never ruled Taiwan. The island has vowed to exercise its right to self-defense and counterattack if Chinese armed forces enter its territory. Other signs are also hinting at Beijing's war preparations. A new agency called the Office of Defense Mobilization is setting up locations across China. Here's more. At least 104 of the offices have emerged within just three months over 90 of them in Fujian province, just across the Taiwan Strait. The offices are located from China's north to south and across east to west. They even extend to Tibet. But what are they for? According to announcements made by local authorities, the offices are tasked with coordinating and mobilizing resources. That's in areas like transportation, economy, technology, data, and communications. What's more, they're also designed to arrange civilian measures against would-be enemy air attacks. The announcements did not include terms like wartime, but these kinds of moves are commonly seen as pre-war activity. The United States created its own Office of Defense Mobilization in 1950, after North Korea invaded South Korea. China backed North Korea in its intrusion, triggering the concern over the possibility of a third world war. The office had coordinated and controlled all wartime mobilization activities in the U.S., including manpower, economy, and transportation. China's move comes at a time riddled with similar tensions and follows the Chinese Communist Party's adjustment of its laws last month, paving the way for war. The change says the Chinese army can take over the judiciary during times of war. A China affairs analyst says this change could force civilians to join the army and fight. And as long as a wartime declaration remains active in China, anyone who voices opinions that stray from Beijing's narrative could be at risk. As Taiwan is busy buying weapons from the U.S. and expanding its mandatory military service, China refuses to sit idle. The Chinese city of Xiamen launched a cell phone app earlier this week. It's called the Civil Air Defense Navigation Platform and serves as a tool to help residents react during wartime. Due to its location, Xiamen could be among the first Chinese cities to get involved in a war with Taiwan, 
if conflict were to break out. That's because of its proximity to Taiwan. It's so close that an island belonging to Taiwan is visible from the city's coast. In case of a war, here's how the app would function. First, it becomes an early warning notification system complete with a flashing light, meaning while air raid sirens sound off, the cell phones in users' hands will be blinking too. Second, the app would show the five closest bunkers relative to the device's location. It would also give directions to get there. The city houses more than a thousand bunkers. And on top of that, all local subway stations can transition into temporary bunkers during wartime. According to local media, the app does not use the U.S.-made GPS navigation system, but the Chinese Beidou navigation system. It's called the Beidou positioning system, and Beijing has been trying to replace GPS with it. Washington may soon change the way it stocks high-end munitions. U.S. Army officials are in the process of ramping up production. That's in the face of challenges with replenishing munitions stockpiles. Much of them sold to Ukraine and would be needed if war were to break out with China over Taiwan. Assistant Secretary of the Army Douglas Bush said the U.S. must have more than one source for the gear, suggesting a situation where all the democracies in the world working together to be a giant arsenal and calling it a total win-win. Former President Trump laying out what he would do about China if he wins the 2024 race. At Saturday's Conservative Political Action Conference, he pledged to stay tough on Beijing. I will revoke China's most favored nation's trade status immediately on day one. The U.S. first gave China what's called most favored nation status in 1980. The designation lowered U.S. tariffs on imported Chinese goods and made products from China more competitive in the market. Back then, that status had to be renewed every year. But in 2001, Congress voted to make that status permanent for China. And I will implement a four-year plan to phase out all Chinese imports of essential goods and gain total independence from China. We have to do it. We have to do it. I will hold China financially accountable for unleashing the China virus upon the world. Trump also pledged he would pull the U.S. out of the World Health Organization, or WHO. The U.S. has been one of its largest sources of funding, providing $200 million to $600 million every year. Trump suspended that financial support for the WHO in his term. President Biden restored the funding once he took office. Chinese leader Xi Jinping is reshuffling his team, filling up his cabinet with loyalists. These officials will interact with U.S. counterparts in trade negotiations. NTD's Sam Wong has the latest. On Sunday, top Chinese officials gather for a major Chinese Communist Party meeting, the two sessions. This year, Xi Jinping officially secured an unprecedented third term, plus a total leadership reshuffle. And he's filling up his cabinet with loyalists. Li Qiang is confirmed as the premier. She's second in command. As the party secretary in Shanghai, Li strictly enforced a two-month zero-COVID-19 lockdown last year. The policy sparked anger among residents and dealt a major economic blow to the country. Li graduated from the Central Party School of the CCP and is one of Xi's most trusted allies. Ding Xueqiang is the new executive vice premier responsible for domestic economy. Like Li, Ding has not been responsible for making economic policies up to this point in his career. 
he served as Xi's top aide in Shanghai and moved to Beijing as Xi's personal secretary after Xi was appointed Chinese leader. He Lifeng is the former chairman of the National Development and Reform Commission. He famously initiated a failed state-led investment project called China's Manhattan in Tianjin. The project left the city with deserted skyscrapers and massive financial debts. Zhu Hexin, China's new central bank chief, is also part of the lineup. Zhu served as the chairman of China's state-owned financial conglomerate Citigroup. He's now in charge of China's financial policy. Unlike their predecessors, these four top leaders in Xi's cabinet have little to no foreign relations experience. China's real estate crash left numerous houses half-built in its wake. But when angry homebuyers gather for a settlement, they're faced with violence and arrests by the police. Here's the latest. Videos on social media show crowds of police surrounding demonstrators in multiple cities last week. Homebuyers rallied there to call for either refunds or delivery of their unfinished houses. In several regions, police resorted to violence, beating and arresting people on the spot. Similar scenes played out last month. In Zhengzhou, the capital of Henan province, authorities arrested hordes of protesters. Unfinished housing projects are everywhere around downtown Zhengzhou. Developers cheated buyers out of their money with those uncompleted pre-sale houses. People have no way to defend their rights. Real estate drives China's economy, but last year the crumbling of major property giants deepened market turmoil, sending prices plummeting and more developers into debt. Purchasers poured their savings into planned new homes only to find they never got built. Worse came after three years of China's zero-COVID-19 policy. Mortgage holders found themselves struggling with monthly payments, thanks to the country's economic slowdown and massive job losses. Homebuyers accuse authorities of squashing the protests, threatening demonstrators, and deleting related posts on social media, instead of addressing the issue. Billionaire investor Mark Mobius is warning about investing in China. He told Fox Business that Beijing isn't letting him withdraw money from his bank in China. Here's a closer look. I have an account with HSBC in, in Shanghai. I can't get my money out. The government is restricting the flow of money out of the country. They're putting all kinds of barriers. You know, they don't say, no, you can't get your money out, but they say, give us all the records from 20 years of how you made this money and so forth. Wow. It's, it's crazy. The investor thinks Chinese leader Xi Jinping has adopted a very different economic approach compared to his predecessors. He says he doesn't see a very good economic picture in China because Beijing is becoming more and more control-oriented in the economy. As a result, Mobius believes the best investment alternatives are India and Brazil. China's foreign exchange regulator responded on Monday, saying there is no change in China's policy on cross-border money transfer. Mobius led emerging market investment at Franklin Templeton Investments for three decades and was known for his bullish view on China. Now, though, he said he would be very, very careful investing in the country. What's the deadliest issue in U.S.-China relations right now? Not the Chinese spy balloon's intrusion into U.S. airspace or the potential military conflict over Taiwan, but the illicit fentanyl made from Chinese raw materials that kills thousands of Americans every year. How does it get here and why? NTD's Xiaohua Li has more. Fentanyl, one of the world's most dangerous drugs, over 50 times stronger than heroin, is highly addictive and deadly. A dose the size of the tip of a pencil is enough to be lethal. The drug is a synthetic opioid approved for treating severe pain, but is often made and sold illegally. 
from April 2020 to April 2021. Within just one year, fentanyl was responsible for more than 64,000 overdose deaths in the U.S., or over 175 deaths per day. It's killed almost twice as many young Americans as COVID-19. But what is China's role in America's opioid crisis? And the source of the fentanyl flooding into the United States? Well, it's China. According to investigative journalist group IG Reportica, most cases of fentanyl-related harm and death are linked to illegally made fentanyl. China plays a big role here as the hub of the illegal fentanyl supply chain. According to a 2020 NPR report, Chinese great market companies specialize in chemicals that are legal in China but illegal in the U.S. They have leveraged the internet to sell and ship the drugs directly to U.S. customers. During 2016 and 2017, they found 97 percent of unbound shipments of high-purity fentanyl into the U.S. were from China via e-commerce. China is also the leader in sending fentanyl precursors to Mexico, where cartels then finish making the final product and send it across the U.S. border. The Drug Enforcement Administration chief has called on China to do more to stop it, like helping track shipments of chemicals from China to Mexico. She said that once the drugs make it to the U.S.-Mexico border, it's too late. Chinese are selling these precursor、uh, chemicals into Mexico. The Chinese are intentionally poisoning, Amer- poisoning America. Senator Ernst accused China of not stopping the supply chain networks that produce fentanyl, that covers both raw fentanyl and equipment for assembly line production of fentanyl. That supply chain allows local drug dealers in North America to mass produce fentanyl in pill form. It then gets mixed into other drugs or prescription painkillers, with or without the user's knowledge. Fake fentanyl-laced painkillers have caused a wave of overdose incidents in America. Beijing has rejected claims that it supplies raw fentanyl to Mexico. Earlier last month, Beijing issued a report blaming the U.S. overdose epidemic on America's drug culture. And rejected accusations from U.S. officials that China is supplying the fentanyl trade. The Drug Enforcement Administration has shut down several websites publicly selling fentanyl sourced from labs in China. The U.S. is also hunting for Chinese citizens involved in online fentanyl dealing. What's more, the fentanyl crisis had former U.S. President Donald Trump fuming during his term. He called out China publicly on this matter in a 2018 Twitter post. Saying it is outrageous that poisonous synthetic heroin fentanyl comes pouring into the U.S. postal system from China, adding that the U.S. can and must end the danger now with no more delay. Beijing responded to U.S. pressure in 2019 by making all forms of fentanyl subject to production controls. It also added two fentanyl precursor chemicals to a regulatory list. But following then U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's travel to Taiwan last year, Beijing suspended collaboration with Washington on transnational crime and illegal drug issues. To this day, China remains the principal source of fentanyl around the globe. In 2021, President Joe Biden declared fentanyl trafficking as a U.S. national emergency, though the declaration didn't mention China. Xiao Hua Li, NTD News. 
Coming up, buzz around Taiwan is rising, but why is Taiwan important for the United States? We hear from Grant Newsham, author of When China Attacks, A Warning to America. The Chinese have sent a huge psychological message uh, everywhere that the American military could not prevent the People's Republic of China from enslaving 23 million free people on Taiwan. Take Taiwan and you have really broken through the castle wall. At that point, it's smooth sailing into the rest of the Pacific. Uh, and you can go up north, you surround Japan, go down to the south, and you cut off Australia. More on that after the break, here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. What could happen to the U.S. if Taiwan falls under Chinese control? And how big is the Chinese communist regime's reliance on Western technology and markets? We hear from Grant Newsham, author of When China Attacks, A Warning to America, for a breakdown. For many Americans, they might still see it as, oh, a little island far away, nothing to do with us. What does it matter if it falls? But you really kind of lay out what would happen if Taiwan were gone. Give us a little sneak peek of what's in the book on that. Well, here's the, the reasons why, the short answers, uh, is that if Taiwan goes under, um, and by under, I mean it comes under Chinese control, uh, is you have showed, the Chinese have sent a huge psychological message uh, everywhere that the American military could not prevent the People's Republic of China from enslaving 23 million free people on Taiwan. And that's the Americans with its entire military might couldn't do it. America's economic and financial might could not stop the People's Republic of China. America's nuclear arsenal couldn't stop them. And America's implicit guarantee that it will defend Taiwan and protect these people uh, from the communist Chinese, uh, that guarantee meant nothing. Now, who on earth is going to take an American promise seriously after that. Uh, so that just might be reason enough to go after Taiwan uh, if you're uh, Xi Jinping, uh, the, the political psychological reasons for it, but also just from a military standpoint. If you take Taiwan, you have broken the so-called first island chain uh, that hems in the People's Republic of China, the People's Liberation Army, has a very hard time getting out to the Pacific. Uh, so I'm trying to break through this island chain that goes from Japan to Taiwan to the Philippines down to Malaysia. Take Taiwan and you have really broken through the castle wall. At that point, it's smooth sailing into the rest of the Pacific. Uh, and you can go up north and you surround Japan, go down to the south and you cut off Australia. Now that is a huge advantage from just a military perspective alone. So combine those things and Taiwan may look like a very juicy target for the People's Republic of China. Um, now, does it have to, do we have to lose? No, we don't, uh, but there are some things that we have to do. And that's of course why I wrote the book was to one as a, a wake up call, a warning, uh, but then also to suggest uh, that we do have um, ways to change that equation. So from Beijing's perspective, uh, it, there's just too much downside risk uh, to going after after Taiwan. And, and Taiwan is just the starters. You have to keep that in mind. Uh, it's not as if you know China will say, well, we've had enough now that we've got Taiwan, we're satisfied. 
now we're going to become this giant Canada and really nice. Uh, it's not going to happen. That would just be starters. The Chinese objectives, which I point out in the book, are very clear. And it is uh, regional domination, global domination, and even beyond. And they're very clear about it. You just have to listen to what uh, the Chinese Communist Party and its leadership actually says. Uh, they've t told us uh, for years what they intend to do, and we've just chosen not to believe them. And Grant, with the very grim picture that you've laid out right there and also in the book, you do offer solutions at the end. Give us a little idea of what those are without maybe giving all of them away. Well, actually, the Chinese kind of tell you what they don't like um, if you listen to them. Um, but even listen to Xi Jinping, you know, when he met with, say, Joseph, uh, President Biden uh, a few months ago, uh, the Chinese, Xi Jinping said, well, we, don't we, you know, we must not weaponize trade or use it as a weapon. Well, that shows you that they are terrified um, of, being, of um, being cut off from American technology, cut off from American markets, uh, et cetera, and even uh, our allies' markets. Uh, the, vulner the Chinese Communist Party is vulnerable to an economic slowdown, and they know it. And that's why they say, don't use trade as a weapon. Uh, additionally, they say, well, we're against blocks. That means other countries forming up uh, alliances, formal or just loose alliances, to defend themselves against uh, the People's Republic of China and its aggressive behavior. Well, that kind of tells you that alliances are good. And when the free nations of the world get together to protect themselves, uh, it makes Beijing very, very unhappy. Uh, additionally, China is extremely vulnerable on the financial front. Um, and why is that? Well, the Chinese currency, and this is not well known, although it should be, it's not freely convertible, which means that if China wants to buy something overseas, if it wants to fund its Belt and Road Initiative, uh, if it wants to buy off, um, say, Ivy League professors uh, or even American uh, politicians, uh, active or retired, it has to pay in U.S. dollars. And cut off that flow of U.S. dollars and make it harder for American companies to invest in China. Um, finally, force Wall Street uh, to stop building up our main enemy. Uh, and China will be in a very big and in, in, in a lot of trouble. And that's why you will often see uh, the PRC making these huge efforts um, to get other countries to accept Chinese currency. But nobody really wants it unless they have to. It's sort of like the, the script you would get at a high school carnival. Um, it's pretty good at the carnival, but take it off campus and nobody really wants it much. So that dependency on dollars is a huge problem. Uh, additionally, China would love to have us uh, with our military um, focused on rooting out white extremists um, and um, trying to um, s uh, promote social engineering in our military rather than uh, building up a, a long-range missile arsenal and our, our, um, and our sort of naval ships uh, to the point that we could actually uh, not just give the Chinese a run for their money, but we could sink their whole navy in a couple afternoons. Uh, so one doesn't want to look, you know, you can never overlook the, the military component of what we need to do. Um, but China would be very happy to have us keep doing what we are doing militarily while they continue to uh, just move ahead of us. Uh, so those are some of the things that we can do. Grant Newsham, thank you so much for joining us. No pleasure. I'm glad to be here. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. 
We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.